Nylon Podcast, the Nylon Calculus Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Farrigan, and today we have with us Nick Cristifo, um, writer for the site, uh, draft NBA draft model extraordinaire. Um, Nick, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, thank you for being our uh, our first guest. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a good honor. For, <laughs> too high for someone such as myself. <laughs> no, no, a lot no. of good people to talk to, and I'm glad you chose me. Well, they always say the uh, the best ability is availability. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fill that role. <laughs> um, so just uh, want to ask you a few questions uh, before we get into sort of your model. But I was just curious. So, you know, we've met before, but uh, I never actually asked, asked you, how did you get into, into basketball? And, uh, you know, what was your team growing up? Or did you have a team? The, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, general stuff. Um I, I'm actually a bit from a basketball family, so um, the apple doesn't fall off from the tree in that regard. My grandfather was 6'8". Um, I have a lot of extended family that played D1. I personally am 6'5", so I played a little bit growing up. Um, so I always had a, you know, enjoyed it um, very much growing up as a child and got into it, uh, you know, as much as any kid did growing up. And then... Uh, once I was in college, I started getting into computer science and statistics stuff and, um, you know, a, a college degree and a graduate degree later. And now I'm 26, so I have a big boy job doing statistics stuff. And I write for Nylon and other websites on the side where I try to combine, like, the statistics side of it with the with the love of basketball and, and you know, watching the games and, and discussing it with other people and trying to figure out, you know, like anything else, trying to figure out um, – how good basketball is played and, and what causes certain things and stuff like that is something that always has interested me. So, and I, I enjoy playing it as well. I play basketball a lot. So, yeah, I was going to ask you if you had gotten yeah. any uh, had gotten any good runs in recently in your uh, in your rec league or just pick up. I, I, I know I'm still smarting a little bit over the the vicious block I took at the Sloan Conference pickup <laughs> game. Uh, that was pretty rough. <laughs> good, good, good runs. No runs by definition. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was I was gonna say to to everyone, uh, Nick is not lying when he says he's six five. He's a legit six five. Uh, although uh, if he, <laughs> if his Sloan game was any uh, indication, he likes to play on the outside. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm six foot five and like one eighty dripping wet. So. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have a favorite team growing up, or did, were you just always more of a, a just a general basketball fan? I grew up in Connecticut, so Connecticut gets the split between Boston and New York. Uh, so the more the north you go, the bigger proportion is Boston. Specifically, I grew up in Southern Connecticut, so I grew up a Knicks fan, um, which is a yeah. It's become, I was very quickly became very skeptical and very uh, very down on a lot of things basketball. Growing up a Knicks fan, I grew up in the you know I was in high school during the Isaiah Thomas era and all that. So um, you quickly get a I quickly got a. A, a lot of, and I used to watch Knicks games and stuff every night growing up. Um, 
you know, every every single game. So, you know, you quickly got a, got the aspect of how bad basketball could be at that point in time. So, Yeah, I was going to say, it, it would have helped uh, Isaiah if he had had, had somebody with, uh, with your background to, to maybe help him with some of the decisions because they were not uh, analytically sound, I would say. Yeah, that would that would have been that was before uh, you know basketball and statistics became very trendy and sexy. Uh, so true. that would have been very ahead of the time, especially for someone uh, like Isaiah Thomas, who was already going against the grain, but maybe in a different way. He, he was going against the grain a little bit more in the uh, in the way that the Chicago Bulls have decided to go against the grain by just yeah. throwing pieces that sound good but don't actually fit together. Building 2012 All Star teams, <laughs> exactly, which is the uh, you know or in the context of me being in high school several years before 2012. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Hey, this person used to be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, that, that's like the, uh, the, the cardinal sin, right. Is always betting on, uh, or, or paying for past performance rather than, uh, than, you know, paying for what you expect to happen going forward, which actually leads uh, very nicely into my next question. So you, you seem pretty interested in projecting performance forward, uh, particularly uh, in projecting performance from college into the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long have you been building sort of uh, draft models and models to project prospect performance? Um, I've been doing it for about the last three years, I guess, in earnest. Um, I'm trying to get a little bit better every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been writing for Nylon for about the last two and a half years. You know, I've been in grad school for, I just got out of grad school for data mining, uh, for a master's degree. Uh, and that I did that for about two and a half years, you know, while working full time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always been something that I've been working on and, and trying to get a little bit better at. Yeah, definitely. I think you and I probably started doing uh, the work, uh, th- that kind of work at the same time. You have mm-hmm. a lot more of a uh, an education and, and a background in that, so your models are much more sophisticated than my little simple dumb regressions that I run every once in a while. But um, I, it's it's interesting that they often produce, uh, at least at the top, relatively similar results. Um, yeah. So that, that always makes me feel a little bit heartened that <laughs> it's not... Or, yeah, I mean, um, this is... Uh, just as true in statistics and as anything else, um, advanced stuff is diminishing returns area. So, yeah. you know, you're not, you, neural network grew, uh, it's still not going to be that much better. Uh, you know, and, and it can also be a lot worse uh, depending on the data and how you prepare it and if you prepare it appropriately. Um, but it's, you know, when it's well prepared, it's even then it's not going to be that much better, assuming, you know, all your linearity assumptions are met and all the other stuff that you need to have met to perform a linear regression and all that, but it's still not going to be that much better than your typical linear regression. Um, it is an area of diminishing returns. So yeah, they, um, they, you know, assuming the same stats and stuff and prepared response, both being prepared responsibly, um, they will be roughly the same. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted to get a little bit into the, maybe the, the, not so much the details, but like, uh, how, how your model is built. And I know your model is different from uh, a lot of others in that it is two part, um, mm-hmm. Could you describe for you know our audience how the what the two components of the model are? Yeah, so you know there's a lot of ways to do draft models. One is just one, um, and we don't really know you know because people have been doing draft models for only the you know it's only really been quote unquote a thing uh, for the last couple of years or at least in in my um, experience. But um, 
who knows what's going on in more private, but yeah, my in, the, point... in the public domain, I think uh, Lane was kind of Lane Bashro, uh, former yeah. nylon writer, now uh, snatched up by uh, an NBA team slash the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Well, he, I think he's... yeah, yeah. He's he's with the the general corporation, the Cronky Sports. Uh, but yeah, and uh, yeah, so. Yeah. I think Lane was kind of the first one to really build a robust uh, draft model, and then uh, there was a lot of uh, other people that that saw the value there and uh, mm. have done similar things. And I think um, that two and a half or three years that you said that you've been doing it, it was about when I started tr- trying to fiddle around with stuff. Uh, and I think that was all. We're probably all uh, inspired a little bit by what Lane was able to do. Yeah. Um, and mine is similar in a lot of ways. So, you know, when I was saying that, you know, mine is just one way and, and there's lots of different ways. So basically, um, like you said, mine is a little different than other people's. Uh, it's actually kind of a two-pronged approach. What I try to do is predict both how good a player would be in the NBA, if assuming he was there, and whether or not he'll play in the NBA, um, which are actually two completely different things. So. You have an ensemble model. In my approach, you have an ensemble model for each. Um, that's that's predicting those two aspects. And uh, you know, playing in the NBA uh, tends to value like a skill set. Where I use I use uh, RSCI, RSCI high school rank that they do every year as, as one of my predictors, and that's the most important predictor of playing in the NBA. You know, just being ranked, um, you know, by a high school consensus, and that's kind of cheating, but it, you know, it's still information. Um, that, that is obviously very valuable to use. So, you know, being being ranked coming out of high school, uh, being tall, athletic, and fast is basically what gives you a chance of, of playing in the NBA. So, um, and, you know, this is based on the assumption that scouting has probably been at least close over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, probably being able to predict have, if someone is more likely to play in the NBA is probably a pretty decent indicator of whether or not they'll be better or not. Uh, having said that, there's also the uh, the second side of it, which is actually predicting how well they'll do, assuming they make it to the NBA. Uh, so basically, my model kind of ends up being an exercise in conditional probability. I have a percentage chance to play in the NBA based on certain things, and then I have a perc- and then I have a you know a value of how much value it'll provide to an NBA team at their peak. Um, uh, if they were to play in the NBA, so you know, if it's they have a fifty percent chance of making the uh, making it to the NBA, and they have a you know a projected, uh, it's not quite how I, my model works, but just so it's a little easier. If they have a projected, you know, adjusted plus minus of you know five points per hundred possessions, then you know it would be like a two point five, and that tends to sort people relatively in line with you know draft consensus. So it's kind of probably in the ballpark of correct um, trying to get you know a little bit better every year i do you know in terms of predicting what i'm predicting um, for the second side of that is how good they'll be i use a, a blend of regular adjusted plus minus blocks plus minus and win shares um, of a two-year player peak so that's similar to the method lane Baffer uses um you know where he uses that two-year peak which kind of both requires some level of consistency you can't really just have like a contract here um, but also provides like a window for players to be good, but then get injured. So it would still consider like Derek Rose, for example, to be a very, very good um, NBA draft pick. That, and stuff like that. 
That, so, exa- that example hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you are a, a Chicago fan. And, and you know, now I'm a Knicks fan, and, you know, now I get to have the, the end part of that career. So. Yeah, you get to ride the, ride the will he be healthy this year roller coaster. So, so have fun. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I had like a little bit of faith with humanity after the Derek Rose trade that I was like, you know, maybe it's just like my personal internet bubble, and I like to try and follow people I think are smart. Uh, and maybe it's just some a reflection of that, but um, there was like people actually recognized that that was probably a bad trade for the Knicks, and I was happy to see that because you know you have um, you know the, probably the most valuable part. You know I might be wrong, but probably the most valuable part of that trade was Lavin Lopez and his contract. And I was you know I actually said that I'll be the first to admit I when Robin Lopez signed that contract, I was like I don't know how good that kind of, that that deal is, and then I was just so very very wrong. <laughs> um, because I really hadn't considered, you know, the salary cap going up and stuff. And now that's just an absolutely fantastic deal. Uh, and I realized how wrong I was. And especially, and yeah, yeah, that's the Nick probably got the better of that trade. I'm rambling. Yeah, the, the, my initial reaction to that deal was that I was really surprised that the Bulls got anything of value. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was, I think, I think I tweeted out after he was. Um, he was the like the I'm gonna be totally wrong here, but I think he was like the fourth worst point guard in the league uh, last year for uh, real plus minus. Yeah, uh, like it's incredible the the fall he's taken um, in terms of uh, like he did I think gets like decent like if you were playing fantasy and had Derrick Rose on your team, he would actually get you like a decent amount of rebounds per game and assists per game and points per game. But um, from an impact on the court standpoint, in terms of winning games, he's taken a huge fall. Yeah, I think like um, that's one of the the big things that st- stats like real plus minus always kind of like illuminate is just the so like Rose's box score numbers don't look that far off of his peak, but like yeah, then you look at like efficiency, you you look at the fact that his defense like the the best that we can measure it, um, and my sort of eye test would. Uh, attest to this um that his defense his effort level has gone you know into the into the tank since his injury and like it's kind of understandable you know like um he's probably worried about hurting himself and you know defense require especially at that position requires a lot of lateral movement and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing but um you know his impact on that end he used to be um you know, at least okay, uh, serviceable defensively, um, and could really mm-hmm. lock in for certain possessions. And now he just doesn't. And then the other thing with him that that I think that the plus minus metrics really get that um, you know box score stuff doesn't is that when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he kind of just stands in the corner and doesn't really do anything. Like he used mm-hmm. to be a pretty good off ball cutter. Um, he does not do that anymore. Yeah, he just kind of like stands over like by the corner or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and some of that I think was like interpersonal stuff with him and Jimmy Butler. I mean, I don't want to get too much into that. Uh, I, mm-hmm. That's a lot of speculation. I don't know those guys, but like, you could kind of see that I don't think he was like the biggest fan of Jimmy having handling the ball as much as he ended up doing because Jimmy mm-hmm. does kind of like to hold it and feel the ball, and uh, he does a little bit of the the Carmelo stuff, um, except for I think like not quite as much. But like when he does have the ball, sometimes he'll he'll do that where he just stands and holds it for five seconds and, like, and jabs his foot four times <laughs> yeah and rose would kind of sulk in the corner whenever butler was doing that which is like understandable that's not like a really fun way to play basketball but 
um, you know, he could have made himself more available by by moving. Um, that's a that's a long Derek Rose digression. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 we got off track for a sec. No, that's but, uh, all right. That's all right. This, this, these uh, conversations can be can be free flowing. I'm just trying to give them a little bit more structure for the listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the I think that uh, I, w- I was interested in sort of what made you have that choice of the structure of the model. I think that like the idea of modeling and so like your the the total value is is essentially an ex, like a ev like an expected value right so like yeah, you have the the percentage chance that they're going to be anything or like make it so that and then that's a percentage and then like uh that's multiplied times what their expected peak is mm-hmm. is that right uh, yeah it's actually um it's actually technically it's to the power to the power of oh, okay. um, so you get a little bit um, of a break in terms of if you're, um, if you're, if you're, you know, your value once you make it to the NBA is, is a little bit better, but, um, yes. Uh, so it, it, it does reflect that, uh, it is to the, to the power of just because it gets you a little closer to the actual answer out of sample. Um, but the, uh, yeah. So the, the reason I did that is because, um, when draft models started becoming a thing, we had like a, uh, most people took the approach of doing like a manual filtering process and they would take like the draft express top 100 or something. And that's a subjective level of filtering that I didn't want to necessarily include if I could. Uh, because I think that's like, for a while there was a pretty valid complaint. It's like, well, draft models are great, but they're still reliant on like, someone picking out who they think the top 100 are. And that's a very valid complaint. Like the idea of a draft model is I don't need anything but numbers and here's going to be the best. Um, it, I think personally it shouldn't be reliant on any level of filtering. So my draft model is, you know, and I don't think it's the best one um, out there from just what I've seen, but it's an attempt to, you can give me any person in any of the major leagues internationally and in the NCAA, and I can give you a rough idea of how good they're going to be in the NBA or, you know, how likely they are to make the NBA. Um, so, yeah, when I take, like, when my model made predictions, I used, like, 3,000 potential players to be drafted rather than just, like, 100 or 200. Um, and that's why, like, if you go to, like, my some of the articles I've written and like the Tableau embeds, you could like scroll for a very long time and get all the way to the very, very bottom of zero. So. Yeah. I definitely think like, especially just from the perspective of if you were trying to say market this to like a team, I think like the idea of being able to identify people that even maybe the scouting services are, are overlooking as, mm-hmm. as NBA val- uh, viable players is is there's definitely value there. That's kind of like um, what I was uh, interested in getting getting your perspective on. The other question I had about that is um, so you include RCI. Um, mm-hmm. Have you looked at including like the Draft Express rankings? Um, the tricky thing with that, I guess, is like those rankings change all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, have you looked at like maybe using draft order, um, like post the, um, you, I guess, using draft order in the sense of uh, that is sort of the final ranking for mm-hmm. when you're looking at past performance. But then you could substitute, I guess, uh, draft express 
as like the rankings up until draft night. Do you, do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So here's my here's my thought on that. So yes. So if you if you were to add, I have thought about it. Um, and it's something I could like Lane did his like he has like his just stats version and then he has what he calls his a well named uh, what he calls his humble model. Yeah. Um, so that includes the uh, the rankings from like places like Draft Express and NBA Draft and all these other places um, and like your you know your Chad Ford on ESPN and all that. Um, so yeah, obviously when you add that additional information, you're going to be more accurate at predicting players' value over the long term. Um, at the same time, you're kind of defeating the purpose, and you, I think you kind of get into this weird area where the draft model informs the rankings, and then the rankings inform the draft model, and then you could have like a runaway positive feedback loop or something like that, <laughs> um, it, where there exists that possibility um, for someone to get dramatically overranked or underranked, uh, depending on how information flows. So, um, so yeah, if you you know in an ideal world where you had you know, you took a bunch of scouts into a room and uh, and they weren't allowed to see the draft models and then they came out with a rank and then you had a bunch of statisticians and they weren't around to watch the players and they came out with a model and then you were to combine those two, you would have something pretty good there. But uh, I don't think that's the way the world works. You know, you watch a player or you, before you go to watch a player, you look at maybe a draft model result if you're an NBA scout or, you know, who knows what they actually do. I'm not an NBA scout, but... Um, <laughs> You know, one always informs the other. So I think there's a problem of getting, you know, a, you know, like I said, the positive feedback loop, you know, might be an issue uh, in that regard. So yeah, it would definitely be more predictive, um, but you might have some internal problems with that. So I've, I've, to answer your question, I've, I've thought about it. Um, I haven't done anything like that. Uh, the, you know, draft models are in a weird place. The the one place I want to take my draft model before I take it down the route of um, of using stuff like the Draft Express rank and the NBA Draft.net rank is we have all these regularized adjusted plus minus, and we're using ridge regression to assign value to players, and you know all this other cool stuff that people are doing. We had like the you know Justin had the dredge on nylon calculus the other day and stuff, and that's really cool. Uh, Andrew has his player tracking plus minus that's one back to back. So we're doing all this complicated stuff with assigning value to player, and draft models are still at like okay, he gets two and a half steals per forty minutes. Uh, <laughs> so it's like it's. Comparatively, it's really simple. Uh, so before I get to next year, what I want to do, uh, you know, assuming I have enough time to, is get to a place where I use some kind of plus-minus as a predictor to my draft model um, to just try to. And, yeah, like plus-minus models are already all over the place enough when it comes to the MPA in 82 games. Um, and then you have, like, you know, Division one basketball, for example, they play around 30 games and it would be even more all over the place, but it's still information. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's still going to help uh, your draft model's predictive ability marginally. Uh, so that's probably the place I would want to take my draft model first before I took it to stuff like uh, like Wayne's Humble model and, and using ranks to, to help increase the predictive power. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Like, I think the you're spot on in the sense that the 
the scouts definitely pay attention to the the models, I think, and increasingly so. Um, mm. And I, I think that uh, so so there is some I think concern about uh, I guess cross pollination <laughs> to, to put it. Yeah, I think there was a there was a great example when like Van Gundy joined the Pistons. Um, and they had, you know, they had their stories come out about how uh, Van Gundy uh, had all his scouts watch the, you know, I'm assuming it's true, it might not be, but uh, had all his scouts watch the game from last season independently because his idea was to avoid groupthink. Yeah. Uh, and that would be roughly similar to the idea you would get if you would have the cross-pollination, which is a good way to say it, of like a model informing the scouting order and the scouting order informing the model. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to ask you is uh, what have been the things that have been most interesting or surprising to you from from building the model? Uh, or has it been mostly kind of like as you'd expect? Yeah, it's mostly as you'd expect. Like the most important predictors uh, for draft prospects are agent steals. Um, so the young guys get drafted, you know, the one and done guys get drafted and usually cause they're pretty good. And also there's, there's kind of two aspects to age. There's, you know, they get drafted young because they're better. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is when you're predicting at like a two year peak is when you draft a guy at 18 or 19 or whatever it is, he has, uh, more years of, of athleticism to reach his peak in. Whereas you draft him at like 24, the window's like already closing. Um, so uh, there's two parts of that age component. Steals are kind of um, the, you know, the prevailing theory with steals is that they're uh, a proxy for athleticism. Uh, they're the least quote unquote replaceable of all the major box score metrics, um, unlike stuff like points. Like, sure, if you put somebody in a game, some players won't be as efficient at generating points, but points will happen. Rebounds will happen. Steals uh, don't necessarily happen. You need a player to generate them. Um, so they end up being a pretty good predictor of uh, NBA value overall. Um, so, you know, other things that are important are steals. So, you know, just the idea of like, uh, you know, you could come up with a bunch of different theories to assign, you know, what's going on to any kind of minor correlation, but, you know, assist would hopefully capture that idea of having a better basketball IQ, and they end up being pretty important, especially looking back to the, you know, 2002, which is what my model includes, and you kind of, like, especially with, like, 2003, 2004, 2005 drafts, you have a lot of guard-heavy talent, because that was, you know, just after, you know, you had a bigs for a while, like, before 2000 and then it was kind of like a golden era of point guards you had like your chris pauls and your Dwayne wades informing the model so assists are another thing kind of after um steals and age that are, are also end up being pretty important overall yeah i remember um that uh when i when i was doing like my very simple uh dumb regression <laughs> that it assists definitely popped quite a bit Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, even, um, I think in one variation that I did, I think I had like an interaction variable between assists and blocks, and that was fairly predictive, which made me think that like, uh, maybe that means that a big man that like can see the floor and, and pass is probably, you know, more valuable than otherwise. Um, 
and it, it was like also I think relatively predictive of like just defensive production and more so than just blocks on its own. Yeah, um, I've actually seen similar stuff uh, from my just experimenting. Um, so yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, and I think, like I said, you can assign theories to all sorts of relationships, but um, but yeah, big men who can pass are better than big men who can't. So yeah. yeah. Which is interesting because uh, Justin's um, dredge model that you that you just brought up has assists as not necessarily on their own being super valuable. I think yeah, it's now it's pretty cool. Like the right type of assists. Yeah, uh, and I would I would buy into that pretty hard. Yeah, I think, uh, but... I think there's um there's probably an aspect of big men get uh, assists probably to those valuable areas like cutters off of big men either are going to the basket or yeah. if they get a double then they're going to be kicking for a three an open three-pointer um so that would be my speculation about yeah that. and if you just yeah if you just think about like the layout of the court like where is the big what position is the big man in, in order to get an assist and it's right. probably pretty favorable right um one of the things that i thought was interesting when looking at the the curves that you have so you have your play probability like the likelihood uh that you a player will play the play probability curve and then the production curves and like you had the individual uh essentially metrics um or variables that went into it um so for the play probability curves steals kind of come out as not being all that important at all which it was interesting to me so mm-hmm. like it's you're much more likely to uh, so, so like points were the the most important statistic uh, for determining whether you get, actually get to play, like high school rank was, I think, the most important. Yeah, it's high school rank for for that, but yeah, points is up there too. Yeah, and so uh, that was very interesting to me that like you're you have to like hit some point threshold to actually get on the floor um, as an NBA player, but like once you're there, steals are more important. It, it makes me wonder if there there have been uh, players that should have been NBA players that didn't get an opportunity because you know, teams were focused on uh, points uh, at the expense of, of steals, maybe. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, and to be honest, I don't I don't have a good answer because I've touched on this in articles before. Uh, we don't know if that player that never got drafted or that player that was drafted and never really given a fair chance to get minutes in the NBA would have been that good. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's a question of, you know, people, uh, people notice points more or, you know, you know, even the players who can't eventually can't score in the NBA still score in college. Um, it could be a mix of both. I don't, I don't really, you know, we don't really have a good way of knowing. And if we do, I haven't thought of it yet. (laughs) Um, but I think it's probably more likely the second thing you said, because if you think about it, like to score at at the NBA level, you have to be so talented, even to score, mm-hmm. like, just a little bit. So, like, the, the, a good example is, like, Tony Allen was, like, a really good scorer at Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State. Um, and he, like, his MO in the NBA is that he just can't score at all. Yeah. Um, and and this like, is... Yeah. This, is, this is part of the reason why I laugh so hard when, like, every year it's like, could Kentucky beat the Philadelphia 76ers? <laughs> And I'm just like, no. you know, it's not it's not a literal example, but I'm just like, you know what Kentucky, is, or you know what Philadelphia, the Philadelphia 76ers basically are, 
they're the collection of the best Kentucky players from like the last six years. Like exactly. it's so it's the like the stupidest conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. They would get the floor wiped. I don't care. Like unless they're it's like even if there's like some world beating Kentucky team, and there's always the chance there is, obviously. Um, you know, I think like even money on that bet, like you're gonna clean up on the Sixers or whatever whatever team is the worst team in the NBA. Like yeah. they run the floor. It's just an absurd conversation, but it's it's one of yeah. those things that like gets people talking, so they run it out every single year and uh, will probably Wait. indefinitely continue to have that conversation. So um, it's probably one of the things that gets clicks too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Count the clicks. Count the clicks. <laughs> um, all right, so Ben Simmons uh, rated out in your model as far and away the best prospect in this year's draft, um, and he, which you know that has to feel pretty good. He, he went number one overall. Uh, so, you know, we talked a lot about like what what goes into the project, projections, but so sort of what drives his projection the most, and like also the other question I had was how does he stack up historically relative to other people that you've had in your in your database of, of prospects. So, uh, for the first part, everything drives Ben Simmons' uh, prediction. He is, was an absolute monster in his one year at LSU. He was a number one ranked high school prospect. He had um, a near 100% chance of playing in the NBA, obviously. He, um, you know, he, per, per 40 minutes, he had like 20, I might be um, just ballparking but he had like 22 points per 40 and like 13 points per or 13 rebounds per 40 and like five and a half assists per 40 which is like really stupid good and you know he's 610 he's decent weight uh long arms and, and just exactly what a top level prospect looks like uh you know he's got like about three uh you know three steals and blocks per 40, uh, two. So, and he's, you know, he's 19 or however he's, he's a one and done. He's really young. So, uh, whatever his age is and he, he's really, really good. Uh, he's also comparatively to other prospects. He's even number one prospects. He's up there. Uh, he's, uh, you know, I think he's in like the top, probably, I don't remember off the top of my head, but pro- definitely above like top, you know, top quarter, top quartile of even number one players wow. uh, under my model. So, yeah, pretty good. Uh, you know, I saw, not to rain on people's parade, but I saw, like, um, draft models that had, like, Ben Simmons, like, number four overall, you know, during the process <laughs> leading up. And I'm just, if, you know, his numbers were absurd. Uh, he was the absolute complete package as a draft prospect. And I can understand, I could totally, it's not to say that, like, if you watch a lot of film and you come up with Brandon Ingram as number one overall, power to you. Um, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable opinion. But if you're making a draft model and Ben Simmons isn't number one by a long chart or number two by really close, I don't know what you're doing because <laughs> his numbers were just all over the place, really, really good. So he's a, I expect him to be a very good NBA player. I expect him to be a star. Uh, Brandon Ingram, uh, to transition to him, he, uh, under my model, he kind of was a pretty decent follow-up off number two. I would subscribe more to the notion that he was probably a little bit closer to Ben Simmons than my model, based on, like, other people's models and just, you know, the consensus opinion of him. I would, you know, probably bump him up a bit. 
and in terms of how valuable I think he is overall as a player. Um, but I think it was pretty obvious um, that after Brandon Ingram, there's a pretty, pretty, pretty far drop to number three, even if that wasn't reflected in my model, uh, which it wasn't. You know, my number three guys, uh, you know, I had some different iterations, but pretty much in every single one, Ben Simmons is one, and Brandon Ingram was number two, and then there was uh, a bunch of different people kind of depending on how I ran it and what I included. And, and while I was doing experimenting, there was a bunch of different people at number three. So um, that probably makes sense. That probably just means it's a big fall off in, in number three. And um, Yeah, I was going to ask you about, about Brandon Ingram specifically in the context of Summer League. So a lot of people I, I know that watch Summer League closely, I, I didn't really get a chance to, to watch it that closely, but um, I ran some, some numbers on it, um, it because that's – you know, the nerdy kind of stuff that I do. Um, and I tr- essentially tried to take out the noise from, from good shooting performances and from bad shooting performances and sort of re- regress that all to the mean. Um, and Brandon Ingram was kind of just okay. Like, he didn't seem to really stand out. And, like, it was that's fine because he's so young. Um, and that's, like, uh, he's playing against a lot of guys that are uh, pretty old. But did you feel at all sort of, like, uh, vindicated that he didn't look like – I think that – I mean, I guess Ben Simmons' numbers weren't super great in Summer League either, but he had some just plays that that made you go – kind of open your mouth and go, wow. Uh, and I, from what I heard from people that actually watched it, uh, Ingram, they, he didn't really pop in, in quite the same way as Simmons. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did that make you feel – I mean, I don't know how much you followed Summer League, but did you feel a little vindicated by that or was it uh, – did you not really think about it? So I'll be I'll, – right off the top, I'll be honest, I'm – barely watched any summer league so (laughs) there's there's that i'm I'm not going to pretend like i have and um yeah as far as summer league results go i wouldn't put almost any stock into how these players perform uh in their summer league yeah it's nice to get a look uh, but in terms of like uh, their statistical production uh during the summer league it bears almost no waiting uh in terms of you know, at least what I've looked at, you know, maybe I'm wrong over the long run, but it, from what I've seen, it bears almost no waiting in terms of how good they're eventually going to be. Um, so I don't jump to react. Um, yeah, that's know, a, I, that's a, sorry to jump. In. I was just going to say, I think that's actually something that I'm going to try to look into a little bit more. Cause I think like one of the things that has been done is like, they looked at like summer league PR. Um, I think draft express did something like that. And, uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to go about it. Uh, one, because there are issues with PER that are pretty well documented, but also just that um, PER is an efficiency metric. And like I said, I, I when I did the the um, numbers I ran, I, I tried to regress shooting to the mean just because efficiency is, is going to be so noisy um, mm. in like a five game or less or some of them were ten games some five game like a, in that small of a sample like you're just there's basically no information there yeah um, like in 2012 the MVP the co-MVP was Josh Selby yeah. and Josh Selby is like I think he's playing in like Turkey or something now like right. yeah. like yeah that that like it does like you know one was one was Josh Selby and the other was Dane so <laughs> you know, yeah, good players are good, but also, uh, you know, over the course of summer league against the competition of summer league, uh, players that you know are fringe NBA guys uh, can also be good too. 
Right. Yeah, I think like that. That's one of the things that I when I was looking at it, I was trying to find guys that like either were drafted high and played well, or like had good sort of like um, model projections and then played well. Because like mm-hmm. for me, it's like if it's like consistent with the overall picture of like what that player has been, um, then that makes me. I take it as like a, an extra point of like yeah, they they look like you would have expected them to look. They looked you know better than the rest of the players in that group um Mm -hmm. and um i think like on the negative side it's so like dragon bender was a player who did not look very good in the the numbers that i ran um and i did watch i was watching a summer league game where i I forget which one it was and who it was against where dragon bender missed i think he missed two free throws where he could have won the game and it went to overtime (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so he had like um, he had a pretty I think rough summer league. But like the other thing was um, like I said, I didn't actually watch much of the games. But the from what I have listened to on other podcasts and like read from other people that actually watched uh, the he was not really put in a situation to maximize his talents. Like I think he, they played him at small forward some because they had so many big guys to like get minutes and um, he is not a small forward. He's <laughs> decidedly not. He's seven feet tall. Um, so like I, that's the kind of thing that I, I would obviously like look at his numbers and take him with a grain of salt. Um, one last guy that I wanted to ask you about, and again, this is uh, driven a little bit by you know the little bit of extra information, whatever, however small that is from summer league, was Jalen Brown of the Celtics. Um, so he was a guy that the scouts and the models really differed on quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like uh, you know. So, well, you got, yeah, I got taken third overall. Yeah, so he was, Yeah, and but like I actually was looking uh, looking again at your model results today and I think your model actually liked him a little bit more than some of the other ones. Um you definitely didn't have him as like the third best prospect, but um he was kind of just in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um do you think that like so from what I understand, you know, I didn't watch a ton of him at, at Cal, but um from what I understand, he played in a in a environment with very little space um and he's a player who is pretty strong and um has a a a decent ability to get in the lane even Mm -hmm. even with that lack of spacing um is that do you think that's like a good example of a limitation of of statistical models um just because of the you can't necessarily get all the context yeah there's something to be said to that uh depending on the context of the because when you, there, you know, there's always going to be noise, but when you, when you all group them into like NCAA, you know, as far as the model is concerned, they're all equal everywhere else. And that's just not true. Like Lane has done work that shows like, um, like, you know, the Syracuse teams that, um, you know, run zone under, under, under gym, they, um, they have like, uh, weirdly different like production translations between college and the NBA and stuff like that. Um, so th- there's definitely something to that. Uh, I can't say you know I watched some Jalen Brown on film. I didn't I didn't watch every single game he ever played. Um, as far as you know stats go, he had a decent okay like kind of line. Like um, nothing really jumped out uh, for Jalen Brown other than in terms of his NBA probability, it was decently high. Um, you know, like all major prospects, but him in particular, because he had a, you know, he was a third-ranked prospect coming out of high school. Um, 
So, so yeah, I don't really know. You know, when when the when the Celtics picked him, especially considering how wide open the third overall pick could be in terms of who is the third best player in this draft. My model, you know, had him around somewhere like ten, um, depending on the iteration. But the Celtics took him third, and I'm not really going to argue with that. Um, I don't really know how good of an NBA player he's going to be. I know he's not going to be as good as Ben Simmons or Brendan Ingram, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, as a player, um, like you said, he gets to the basket. Um, he has, for me, he has almost like, if I can go, like, fill me on you, he kind of has like a, um, almost like a, two, I want to say like a two-tone athleticism. Like, he doesn't seem to be, like, the quickest guy or or this guy who's... But he, he also also has, like, this often one leg. He seems to really get a good amount of bounce um, in terms of jumping ability. Um, so I don't know how to classify him um, as an athlete. He kind of seems, like, bipolar to me. Um, he's not, like, blistering fast, but at the same time, he's not, like, nothing athletically, definitely. Um, and he's big. He has some. He has some decent weight behind him, but he doesn't really finish at the rim well, um, and that seems like an important skill for him to have, given his gameplay type. Because you know he had like a twenty nine percent like three point shooting percentage and sixty five percent free throw shooting percentage, and um, so if he's not going to, you know, and that's not to say that he won't become a better shooter. Um, I definitely subscribe to the notion that shooting is the easiest skill to teach. Uh, and when you're drafting, you should not draft shooters. You should draft players, and you should draft uh, bodies. Uh, so that's probably you know what the Celtics were thinking a little bit. If they're going to tell me he's the third overall pick, that's cool. Um, they know more about me, uh, more about this than I do. Um, so yeah, I don't really know what to expect with Jalen Brown uh, as far as like who's going to be the third best player in this draft. I think it's kind of wide open. So yeah, I think. Um... Uh, that that uh, sort of the lack of burst, I think, on his first step is something that I've heard other people say. And mm-hmm. you, you are always more than welcome to put on your, your scouting hat <laughs> on the Nothing But Nylon podcast. I, I think one of the things that we want to do uh, on the pod is, is to dispel the notion that uh, that guys that are into the stats uh, side of the game, the statistical side, are, are don't watch. Uh, we definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, uh, also, always here for the the Twitter jokes and all, and all of that. So yeah, <laughs> it's not just about being cold and analytical. It's also about fun. Uh, and yeah, I like I like people too. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, numbers are cool. People are cool. They're they're both cool. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the last thing I was curious about is. Um, at least in the results that were posted on Nylon, it doesn't look like you have international players in the model. Um, but you mentioned earlier that you could probably put anybody from anywhere in the world into the model and, and get uh, some kind of result. Uh, do you do you have something built out for the international players, or is that just more, would that more be based on um, the likelihood that they would be an NBA player side of it based on like scouting and all that kind of stuff. I do. Um, so one of the things that I need to work on for my particular draft model is just based on other results is, um, with international guys included, like my model is like weirdly down on some international guys that other people think are 
uh, pretty good. Um, so it's that's something I'm, I want to work on. I I do I do have them. I have a uh, you know I've run them together. I have um, you know a dummy variable for whether or not they're an international player, and I also have uh, a strength of schedule metric that includes both the NCAA and the uh, international leagues that I use. Um, and the way I do that is, you know, for the NCAA guys, it's a, uh, it's like the Ken Palm strength of schedule rating. Mm-hmm. But for the international guys, it's kind of a regression coefficient um, based on whether or not they played in this league. And it's based on results of people who have played in both like NCAA and the international league and the difference between their production between each. Um, so I kind of like blend them together and try to get to a place where, um, you know, I could use one number for both international and um, the NCAA strength schedule. It's not perfect, but um, oh. yeah, it's no, something. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm reading through the results now, and I do see some international names in here. I, was, I guess the reason I didn't think that they were in there is I didn't see Dragon. Because they weren't as high up as they should have been. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't see Dragon Vendor anywhere, and I was yeah. like, yeah, maybe maybe that maybe your maybe your model's right. Maybe that's why he was pretty poor in summer league. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Dragon isn't the player you think it is. I, for me personally, I definitely think it's a chronic, uh, you know. Uh, Part of my model is just being too down on international guys, uh, even though I, I go to lengths to um, account for them. Uh, but And especially like the, the methodology I've found is like uh, stuff like the top international leagues, like the ACB and other stuff like that are better um, competition overall, at least from what I've found, than, than the NCAA. Uh, so if anything, my model should be high on NBA guys, but um, it's still up. And it's like a thing where even like the top Probably what it is, a lot of it is, is when you are an NCAA guy um, and you're a top prospect, you're playing like 30, 35 minutes out of 40 a game. Uh, and that's not always the case with international guys. Um, so I do use minutes as a, as a predictor. So, uh, you know, even, even you know, the top international guys, uh, like just off the top of my head, like Chris Stapps, for example, uh, last year he was only playing like, you know, you know, a little above like 10, 15 minutes, depending on the league you use the game, uh, like between 10 and 20. Uh, so uh, it might be some of that, uh, just not seeing enough of them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's something something I'm trying to work on is, is, is getting better at predicting the international guys. There are other, you know, better models in mind uh, that, you know, are probably predicting, predicting international guys a lot well. You know, Andrew Johnson's on Dylan Calculus, uh, Kevin Pelton's on ESPN is actually Kevin Pelton's on ESPN uh, tends to be uh, kind of high on international guys and uh, a success story from internationals was uh, Kevin Pelton's was the highest on Chris Stapps last year uh, from all the models uh, I had seen. Uh, so if you were looking for maybe a more accurate uh, <laughs> portrayal of international guys while mine is uh, still in pr- my mild while my model is still in process uh, of getting those uh, predictions more accurate for the international guys I would recommend checking out uh, Andrew Johnson's or Kevin Pelton's model yeah Andrew Johnson does really good work Kevin Pelton obviously does very good work he's over at ESPN Insider uh, Andrew Johnson is uh, one of Nylon Calculus's own and Hopefully, I'll have him on the podcast uh, sometime in the nearish future uh, to discuss 
uh, maybe draft models and some of the other stuff. I think maybe his, where we've discussed draft models here, maybe I'll have him talk about his player tracking plus minus model, which has had uh, great success uh, in projecting uh, the seasons um, the last two years, as you mentioned yeah. earlier. Um, yeah, and this actually, um, I'm going to copy his success. Um, I was actually working on, start, I just started today, uh, earlier today, uh, working on something that I hope will be similar to that because he can't win three years in a row. I don't want to. <laughs> You're just going just gonna to take what he did in the sl- yeah, I'm just sl- gonna, like, slightly improve it? And, 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 yeah, <laughs> copy it and slap something else on the edge so hopefully it's a little bit better. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the, 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 uh, what are they, what's that quote? The... Uh, Good artists, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. There you go. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, I've heard that before too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's the story of humanity. We're all just stealing and get a little bit better along the way. So exactly. All right, Nick. Well, I wanted to uh, be respectful of your time, and I know it's getting getting kind of late here. So <laughs> respectful of my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, but uh, do you have anything else uh, that, that's in the works for Nylon to, to promote, or do you? Uh, should I just tell people to follow you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, on Twitter you could follow me at Nick Crispifo. I'd be right for Nylon and Soundsided and occasionally some other places. And um, yeah, uh, I, I'll probably be working on a lot of off-season stuff. I want to um, eventually. I'll be. I want to try to work on some, like I was mentioning there, some. Uh, new player value stuff. Um, so, so like some regularized adjusted plus minus, a lot probably built on uh, player tracking and, and stuff like that, um, and and some other stuff while I have time in the off season while there aren't big games being played, and you know getting a little bit better with the win projections and stuff is uh, what I have my eye on, and the um, and the draft model stuff, including that play by play component. So that's all stuff I'll be working on over the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And uh, speaking of Nick's work on fan sided, uh, I should. Uh, say we didn't really get into it, but Nick also wrote a, a great article talking about uh, the rough value of draft picks to basically reproduce the old um, Jimmy Johnson NFL draft value chart um, mm. from the NFL. He, he essentially was able to uh, roughly recreate that for the NBA. Um, so you should Google that. Uh, it's NBA draft trade value chart uh, on fansided Nick Christifo. Mm-hmm. Check that out. That's a good a good one to to read. Um, but yeah, Nick, uh, thank you for being our first guest. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it too.